Pray as we get into uh, Second Peter. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to come before you now so thankful in spirit and in heart for all that you're doing in Wangaratta. Lord, I want to thank you for the hope that we have to bring to others and that you have planted deeply within us the hope of the gospel. And Lord, as we begin this series in Second Peter, Lord, I pray that you would help us through this teaching become empowered and transformed by grace because that is what your desire is for us as we uh, uh, open your word this morning. May you speak to us, may we listen, and may we then act upon it too. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you know the theme for Second Peter is this. The grace of God in Christ truly transforms and empowers Christians to live righteously even in the face of opposition. God's grace in Christ serves as the foundation for all of the teaching in this book. God's grace in Christ is the central essence and source and grounding force. And I feel that with everything that we are facing in our world we also need that grounding force to sink deeply into our lives and to operate out of that grace. So my prayer for us as a church through this series is that we will drink deeply from the well of grace and let God's grace flow through our lives and grow in our lives as we bring hope. You know, the book of Second Peter, for a bit of history, was written around 67 AD um, by the Apostle Peter, who uh, he was actually in Rome at the time of this writing. It was the, his last writing, and he was awaiting his execution under Nero. Uh, that's the, the, where this is written. And uh, it was written because it was a final reminder so that his readers and all of us by extension will by God's grace live a life that is pleasing to God. In doing so, Peter combats those pesky false teachers who raise their heads again and because uh, they were teaching a form of, of, of lifestyle that doesn't match the gospel. They were teaching a form of sexual permissiveness as a genuine and legitimate Christian lifestyle. Uh, and, but that was imported directly from the culture of the time. And we see similar effects in the church today of where the current of culture has flowed into some churches and some denominations and they either miss, ignore or explain away some of the clear teachings of Scripture. But Peter's focus is, is sharply on God's grace transforming our lives and empowering us to live godly lives in the face of opposition and in the current of culture. Now, who here has done an in-depth study of Second Peter? Raise your hand. You are not alone. It is one of the most ignored books because it's small. It's right at the back of the New Testament. And it's a bit blunt and it's brief. And so it pulls no punches. There's nothing that hangs around waiting, right? Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, just changing to Peter. Um, Peter immediately starts teaching from almost the, the first word, it seems. 
So uh, if you have not studied Second Peter in depth, you are with a lot of people, because I haven't either until now. But it is a rich book, so let's get the most out of it how to grow in the grace of God and apply that in our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to 2 Peter. You have to find it first, don't you? Because it's not one of those ones that you spend a lot of time in. Um, And as we go, we're going to be starting with verse 1. So uh, follow along. It's a good place to start if you're doing a new series in a book, is with verse 1 of chapter 1. So Simeon Peter, a servant of a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. As I said, see, he doesn't pull any punches. He's straight into it. Here, this is me, who I am. Here's my credentials. And bang, straight into something as he addresses his audience. And he calls himself Simeon, which is just the, the Hebrew spelling of Simon. And he addresses those of equal standing attained by faith. See, all believers share equal privileges before God. Our equal standing was accomplished by the righteousness of God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. It was God's saving righteousness, not our own, and our faith is a gift of Jesus, who is called our God and Saviour. This here is one of the clearest New Testament declarations of the divinity of Christ. And this was a radical teaching to a world filled with class divides, with slaves and masters, with rich, the poor, the oppressed, the slave, the free. Into this mixing pot of social division, Peter makes a wonderful statement of equality. True equality. Not what our world has twisted it to mean, but biblical equality that is by faith, which is a gift of Jesus, we all share in an equal standing before God. You and me, we are equal before God. No matter what gender, no matter what job, no matter what position, no matter what family you're from, no matter what past you've had, no matter what life decisions you've made, no matter if you're married or if you're single, no matter if you're old or no matter if you're young, no matter your race or ethnicity, as believers, we all share an equal standing before God. That's true equality, right? And this was a radical statement in his day. And it still is a radical statement today because our world is hell-bent on creating division. Our world wants to divide us along every single line they can. Gender, sexuality, whether you're married or single, whether you've got a job or whether you don't, regardless of, and particularly race is another one that in Australia I think we're a little less... um, uh, culturally um, affected as as other countries but my goodness if our world is hell-bent on one thing it's hell-bent on dividing us but by faith as believers in Christ we are all equal before God that is pure and untainted equality and here in this atmosphere of equality we are introduced to the central theme of 2 Peter, and that is God's grace. Verse 2, 
We get there. Verse 2, yes. My grace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. The knowledge of God and of Jesus was the key to grace and peace. You know, these blessings become ours as we get to know God intimately by reading his word and abiding in him. You know, the concept of knowing occurs in 2 Peter 16 times. It's important that Peter lets his readers know that they would know, have knowledge. He really wants us to know more about our faith and about our God and how to live by faith, how to grow in grace. He doesn't just want us to live according to feeling and our heart, but to also cultivate knowledge in our minds, to know about our faith and to think more deeply about the work of Christ in our lives, to know God intimately and deeply, to know of his grace in Jesus Christ. See, a lot of us can have a real emotional connection with God, a, 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 a connection with God that is, is all feeling. And when we have that strong feeling of connection with God emotionally, our life goes up and down with our feelings and with our emotions. And if we never translate that feeling of God, that feeling of closeness with God to a deep knowledge of God, our life will continue, have the ups and downs, we'll feel close to God, feel far away from God, feel close to God, feel far away from God because of who we are. But yet having a knowledge of God is all about who he is. And so that's what we need to cultivate, to know God, to know his word, to know his character, to know his will, to know God deeply and intimately so that in those low moments of our feelings we can stand on the solid truth and the rock of our foundation in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. This is a good book, right? We're only four <laughs> verses in, and it's great. He reminds us, Peter reminds us of the resources and the promises of God that are at our disposal. He did this to reawaken our appreciation for the blessing God has bestowed upon us considering our current needs. You see, grace and peace are possible because God and Christ have every one of us, everything, have given every one of us everything we need to live godly lives. We have been given all the resources we need from God to live godly lives. Warren Wearsby notes, just as a normal baby is born with all the equipment he needs for life and, 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 and only needs to grow, so the Christian has all that is needed and only needs to grow. See, God's Spirit and His Word provide everything that is essential to godly living, but these are the, the only resources that we have or should use. Peter's point was, was that there is nothing more that believers need in order to become more godly that has not already been made available to us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Some people, for various reasons, 
need more specialised help in dealing with the obstacles to godly living that they face with psychology or other professional resources that they, they, those areas may provide. You know, I believe that God has given doctors of all kinds the knowledge needed to help humanity flourish. However, to grow in godliness, no one can do that without the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. See, God's promises come to us by Christ's power and true knowledge of Him. We learn to benefit from these promises as we get to know Him better. And the God-supplied divine powerful fulfilment of what He has promised comes from Him. You know, this is God's power exercised on our behalf to give us all the resources we need to live a life shaped by the gospel. These promises Peter speaks of are not secrets. They are clearly given to us all through the revealed word of God and our resources for us. You know, Peter specifically mentions biblical prophecy and we'll touch on that in more of this book, but th these promises are precious because of the great worth of the spiritual riches involved. They are magnificent because they are intrinsically excellent. Someone has said that you can never break God's promises by leaning on them. <laughs> the Old Testament especially emphasises God's faithfulness to his promises repeatedly. You know, one of the great lessons of Second Peter is that to maintain a holy life in a world like ours, we must be deeply rooted in the prophetic promises of God's word. Above all, we must hold fast to that blessed hope of the coming again of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And God hasn't left us swinging the breeze and on our own. See, when God saved us by faith in his promise, he indwelt us. And we therefore possess the nature of God within us. God's Spirit in us manifests the likeness of God and Christ through us. And He also gives us power that enables us to overcome and escape the many temptations before us. The temptations that we presently face really characterize the world as a whole. The assurance of ultimate victory over this corruption should encourage us to strive to overcome it now. Each of us must make a choice. We either become freed from sin or we become further enslaved by sin. So why, with all of God's resources at our disposal through the indwelling Holy Spirit, would we choose to become further enslaved by sin? It doesn't make sense. It's not logical because victory is already won. And victory is ours in Christ Jesus. So we should be making every effort to live a godly life. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So as Peter's established, our, as believers, our basic adequacy through God's power in us and promises to us, he then reminds, of, reminds us of our responsibility to cultivate our own Christian growth. 
And he did this to dispel any notion that because we have sufficient resources, we don't need to do anything else. Since we have resources that are adequate for a godly life, we should then use them diligently to grow in grace. It doesn't just happen by osmosis or automatically. Spirituality is a choice. It doesn't just inevitably happen. In fact, if we as Christians fail to add these virtues to our faith, our faith will soon become what James described as dead faith. Its vitality and productivity will disappear. In this passage, Peter gives us a recipe, if you like, a list of ingredients to add and mix together to produce a mature godly life so our faith won't disappear, so our spiritual life will continue in vitality and productivity. He used a literary device called sorites. And, and this was commonly used in his day to impress upon the readers the importance of giving attention to each virtue. Sorites is a set of statements that proceed step by step to a climactic conclusion through the force of logic and reliance upon a series of indisputable facts. Each new statement picks up the last key word or phrase of the preceding one. So this is what he's using here uh, to explain how important this is. And it doesn't mean that we have to master the first one before we move on to the second one either. He simply arranges the virtues in an advancing order and presents them so that each one receives emphasis. And the total effect is to create the impression of a growing and, and healthy tree, for example, which, of which several branches are vital. You know, children want to often grow up faster than they can. You know, how many of us as parents have had kim, kids come up and ask us to measure them, to see their height, and then they do that again a week or two later? Now, in our wisdom as parents, we know to encourage them not to take a second reading so close to the first, because that might not be healthy for them and might be discouraging and it might be go and work on things that might help you to grow instead. So our encouragement is on their growth so that the next time we do take the, the height reading, it is higher. Good nutrition, good sleep, those sort of things. We, we encourage those sort of things. You know, eat your veggies. Those are really good things as parents. Get the protein in for those gains. Um, or spiritual chicken, or spiritual gains are better, eh, aren't they? Um, but that's the, spi that's the, the spirit of, of Peter's advice here too. And the first value is moral excellence cultivated through obedience to God. It's moral purity, uprightness of character. That's the first virtue. The second is knowledge or acquired wisdom. As Christians, we need to know all that God has revealed in his word, not just the gospel. We need the wisdom and discernment which is progressively acquired over time as we develop intimacy with God's word. And this knowledge is to be practically applied also, not just purely speculative wisdom. Self-control means mastery of self, disciplined moderation, controlling our desires and passions. Many of the early Christian heresies taught that since the body was evil, as some claimed, or unimportant, as others claimed, it wasn't necessary to curb fleshly lusts, but only to think correctly. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. We should cultivate self-control and discipline. Perseverance, or steadfastness, 
is the need to keep on keeping on despite adversity. When we're tempted to give in or give up, we must practice patient perseverance in holiness. This is not just patience to sit in a traffic jam on a Melbourne freeway worrying about getting to an appointment. Peter's talking about being able to endure when trials come. And godliness refers to behaviour that reflects the character of God. It presupposes a desire to please God in all the relationships of life. Brotherly affection is, is thoughtful consideration of fellow believers. You know, acts of kindness manifest this characteristic. And here's the climax. Love. The highest form of love. God's kind of love that seeks the welfare of the person loved above its own welfare. Love that reaches out to all people and not just fellow believers. Now, one commentator said that Christian faith is the root form which all these virtues must grow and Christian love is the crowning virtue to which all the others must contribute. In a list of this kind, the last item has a unique significance. It is not just the most important virtue, but also the virtue which encompasses all the others. Love is the overriding ethical principle from which the other virtues gain their meaning and validity. It's a good checklist that helps us as Christians evaluate whether we are all that God wants us to be. These are, are the traits of a maturing Christian whose faith is vital, not dead. You know, each child in a family bears some resemblance to their parents, while at the same time remaining distinctive. And each growing Christian normally manifests similarities to Christ and yet remains different from every other Christian as the Holy Spirit moves in our lives in different areas and at different times. But ultimately, we should all be growing in faith right through to love. Any progress in godliness that we make is due to God's enabling grace. All that we have, including the desire and the ability to please God, comes from Him. But we must choose to use what He's given us to pursue godliness. You know, Olympic athletes do not wake up one day and compete. They spend years in training. Likewise, those who run the Christian race must pursue godliness diligently. But here's a modern trap for us. We are conditioned to desire and search for a single moment of instant gratification through a crisis or maybe even a, spiritual, a special spiritual encounter. Our instant gratification culture encourages this search over the regular incremental development of these qualities over a long period of time which is what Peter encouraged. Our instant gratification culture wants to jump from one spiritual high to the next rather than put in the work and spend time with God in his word to be shaped by the gospel and his word over time. You know a lot of people say um, such and such became an instant success and they'll often say, yes, I spent 20 years of hard work to become an instant success. It's like that with, that with our lives. There is that undercurrent under, uh, of growth, that steady growth that we have every single day. And then, you know, someone might observe, or we might ourselves even observe, oh, I, 
I've moved past those issues that I once had, those areas of struggle, of temptation, of doubt. I've moved past that and now I'm operating here. And it doesn't happen like that. It happens over time as we immerse ourselves and drink deeply of the grace of God through his word. We shouldn't be searching for the spiritual highs to transform us. Instead, we should be making every effort to grow in grace and grow in our knowledge of the God of our salvation, to seek his righteousness, to be shaped by the gospel over a lifetime of dedication and service. That is where our effort should be. Make every effort to live a godly life. The next part is, is part of the same, really, is to be, an, is to be uh, living an effective life for Christ. We need to continue to grow in those qualities as well as possessing them. We must grow in grace. If we don't, God will be useless. Um, we, we will be useless to God as his instruments in the world or as effective examples in, in, in our life, even though we've received everything necessary for godly living through the knowledge of Christ. In verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord of Jesus. Of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the picture Peter paints here is of someone who willfully avoids labour that is their responsibility. When we diligently add these virtues to our lives, however, we will be both useful and productive and we will evidence truth and the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. True knowledge of him involves not intellectual understanding but knowledge that comes through obedience. It's putting that knowledge into action. And this growth, to grow in knowledge and in expression, as we, and living that effective life of Christ, should be the goal of every believer. You know, Warren Wearsby writes, some of the most effective Christians I have known are people without dramatic talent and special abilities, or even exciting personalities. Yet God has used them in a marvellous way. Why? Because they are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. They have the kind of character and conduct that God can trust with blessing. They are fruitful because they are faithful. They are effective because they are growing in their Christian experience. Peter then contrasts those who have it with those who don't. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So the absence of these virtues give, gives evidence of a lack of, of, of true knowledge. And Peter described this condition as spiritual blindness to the realities connected with their relationship with God and also short-sightedness. You know, such people show concern mostly about living for the present with little regard for the future. James called it dead faith. Many Christians have forgotten how much God has forgiven them or they have appreciated his forgiveness only superficially. They haven't let it sink deeply. Those who have forgotten have little motivation to grow in grace and please God. They do not add the seven qualities of their faith that Peter urged. And this omission, according to Peter, is equivalent to forgetting that we've been cleansed from our previous sins. Forgetting our escape from the corruption that is in the world through lust, these people fail to see the importance of continued Christian growth. 
You know, one of the saddest things I see is when people walk away from faith or walk away from, from church or whatever. And, and the reasons that that happens is often varied. But it's so sad because there's a, a, miscon- um, there's a disconnect with the ongoing love and grace of Christ and growing as a Christian. There's, it's almost like a stop. And so the question you have to ask was, well, was it only ever superficial that they understood the forgiveness of Christ? Did they never ever go and drink deeply? Did they never let, it, let that, that, that complete forgiveness of Christ flow over them and all of them? Or did they hold so much of themselves back that they never let that happen? Now, this is one of the most practical and helpful passages in the New Testament dealing with spiritual growth. Peter presents here both the reason for and the method of growth clearly and and, and I think quite attractively. Peter was certainly a spiritual realist. He doesn't take it for granted that spiritual growth will occur automatically or inevitably. In fact, the character development he thinks of can't happen unless we as believers give all diligence towards that end. It doesn't mean that we will do it on our own because God has supplied the basic resources and provides help along the way. But Christian growth will not occur unless we are diligent participators in the process. If we learn nothing else from this passage, we must learn this. We do not passively experience Christian growth, but actively pursue it. And Peter finishes this section of his letter with verses 10 and 11. He says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, Peter gives assurances that practicing what he just advocated would prepare them well for the future. He wanted them to know that they had no need for the added burdens that false teachers sought to impose on them. By growing in these virtues, our salvation will be evident. It will be the fruit that is produced as our lives are shaped by the gospel. By cultivating these virtues, other people will be, will be able to see God's work in us with clarity. And that should remove all doubt that we have been called and elected as we respond in faithfulness. When, when do you stumble? It's when you're not paying careful attention to where you're stepping. It's when you become preoccupied with other things and you don't pay attention to where you're going. Such is true in our Christian walk as well. Now, Peter doesn't want us to stumble or fall. He is calling us to pay close attention and be diligent in our walk with the Lord. Whilst our assurance of salvation rests on the promise of God that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Saviour has eternal life, it is evidenced in the fruit of our lives. One of the greatest motivations for pursuing growth in grace is that when we go to be with the Lord forever, He will welcome us warmly. Our Lord's welcome of those who have sought to express their gratitude for His grace through a life dedicated to cultivating godliness will be especially warm. You see, people can be saved, yet never make this decision to grow in grace, to never allow the Spirit to empower and transform them them by the grace of Christ. Christians 
whose destiny is secure through the work of Christ can decide not to allow the gospel to shape their lives. That's a sad reality. And I know many people who I believe are saved yet rarely attend church, they don't serve others, they don't share about their faith, they don't grow in knowledge and they choose not to cultivate the virtues that Peter encourages in these verses. These are the people that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3.15 when he says, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Right? It's in by the skin of your teeth. And that's not how I want to be welcomed into Christ's kingdom. That's not the internal inheritance I desire. I don't want to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. Do you? You might be comfortable in your eternal salvation through the work of Christ on the cross and be secure in the certain hope of resurrection to eternal life. But if that's where it stops for you, then you've missed a large part of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be shaped by the gospel. What it means to be transformed and empowered by grace. So my question to you today is this. What sort of eternal inheritance do you desire? What sort of welcome are you working towards? Are you diligent in cultivating the the virtues that Peter commends? Are you living an effective life for Christ? Are you growing in grace? Are you being transformed and empowered by grace? Are you living a life shaped by the gospel? Or are you just going to get into heaven as through fire and by the skin of your teeth? That's a question that we all have to answer. I can't answer it for you. But a faith that is alive and active is the goal for us as Christians. It doesn't happen by osmosis or automatically. It requires diligent attention and work on our behalf to cultivate God has given us everything we need to grow in grace, but we have to do the work. Are you going to do the work? Are you going to make the decisions and take the actions to be empowered and transformed by grace? I pray that you do. Let me pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have indeed given us all the resources to live a godly life before you and for you. Lord, I thank you that you have blessed us with all the resources through your indwelling Holy Spirit that comes by faith. There's nothing more we can do to earn that. It's done for us by you. But from that moment, we have a responsibility as Christians to grow in knowledge and to put that knowledge into practice. Lord, I pray that that our faith would be alive and active. I pray that we would be diligent in working to cultivate everything that Peter has encouraged us to in this passage, those seven virtues. I pray that you would help us make those decisions each day to drink deeply of your word, to be encouraged in fellowship, 
but to grow, Lord, and be transformed and empowered by your grace. I thank you that you have given us provision for this. And I pray that this series in in 2 Peter would be a great encouragement to us to live godly lives as you equip us to. But that requires us to take the action and to make the decision to do that. So, Lord, would you help us do that too? Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.